Thank you, Daniel. Good morning, church. Happy Dad's Day. Thank you. I'll get back with you in a minute, dads. Uh, we're glad you're here and, uh, and just feel honored to be with you this morning um, for a number of reasons. Um, I walked in today just feeling overwhelmed by God's goodness and just wanted to take a minute to edify you and just talk for a minute about like your part in that um, from where I, where I stand. And so like um, being a leader in the church, being a pastor, one of the elders, um, fully aware of that with that comes from a biblical perspective, like a certain amount of like accountability and expectations and, and appropriately so. Um, but what oftentimes happens in the church is that in addition to that, um, extra expectations are added on. And, um, and I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where that, I don't feel that from you, where I get to show up, a sinner saved by grace, um, not up here to perform, but like um, just up here to operate in gifting and for all of us to hear from God and to be edified from his word. And so like, I just want to say that to you, those of you who are the church, like you are a blessing to those of us who are in leadership, um, who, who let us walk in humility and transparency and vulnerability um, with, without the extra expectations that, that can oftentimes be heaped up on church leaders. And so being gone for a couple weeks, stepping back in today, I just, I'm overwhelmed by that this morning. I feel that from you. So thank you for that. And if you're visiting with us, um, I hope you get to taste just like a small piece of that this morning. And I hope that will cause you to want to come back to get the rest of it, um, because that's what God is doing in this church. And uh, so I just want to start there. Um, I, I'm excited to open God's word with you. Um, this morning as we were getting ready uh, to like meet and talk about the plan for the morning, uh, Evan, who's filling in, leading worship, really thankful for our worship team, uh, was saying to Daniel, one of our elders, hey, when you read this, come up to read the scriptures, I want you to be up there before the song ends. Uh, don't wait for the music to end, and then we move to something else. And the reason behind that is that um, we want God's word to be a part of our worship. It's not the thing we do after we worship, that God's word is actually leading us in worship together. And if nobody gets up here to do what I'm doing, we will have had the opportunity to have heard from God from his word. And so if you're wondering why we do that, that's why we do that in the service, to give God's word um, its proper place in our service, but more than that, like in our hearts and in our lives and in our worship. And so I'm just so thankful for those who lead us in worship, whether that's through singing or playing instruments or praying or reading the word. Like, I get to be led in worship, so really thankful for that. Um, we are going to be in Ephesians 2, um, and it is Father's Day. And so for like a brief moment this week, maybe 10 minutes, um, I was tempted to park the sermon series in Ephesians and do something different, like we did for Mother's Day. And, uh, and, and, but the more that I kind of pursued that idea and was praying and reading the word, and I found some fantastic scriptures for us to, to look at together for Father's Day, the more that the Spirit just kept drawing me back to Ephesians 2. And, and, and I, so I did that. I went back to Ephesians 2, and I stayed in where we are in the sermon series, and I'm so thankful for that, um, because I think what we're going to hear today, dads, is really the thing that we most need to hear, um, this beautiful explanation um, expression of the gospel described in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And what we see today is that the gospel, being good news, begins with some really heavy news. Like the first three verses are going to land heavy, and that's, that's good. That sets us up then to see and to hear and to experience the good news of the gospel. I want to just like throw some things out there. I am a dad, so I feel like I could talk 
candidly about dads and about what we struggle with, at least most of us. If I say something about dads, you're like, well, that's not me. Just let it roll off. Um, uh, but, but I think there's a kind of a, uh, a, uh, a commonality in being a dad that I think most of us can relate to. And it's this idea that we rarely have places in our life where we can just show up and be real. Like it's rare for us to have a place where we don't feel like we have to be on. Right? Certainly work is not that place. Like we've got to be on while we're at work. There's no room for anybody to see any cracks in, in my strength or any, you know, any, any blemishes in my armor. I have to be on. And then we come home and there's this idea, well, God's called me to this home. I'm to lead in this home. I'm to be a husband and a good dad. And so I'm on. And then even in friendship, you put a couple of dudes in a room and like, it's on. Right? It may be subtle, but it's on. And and I'm going to listen for what you think of me. I'm going to make sure that you think a certain way about me and that you know what I know and how smart I am and how whatever, right? And so rarely do we as guys have a place where we feel safe enough to like turn the performance switch off and just be. Here's the thing. The greatest gift your family could give to you that I could give to you would be give you some space today to do that. Here's the catch. Even if it's offered, few of us are going to take it. Few of us are going to give ourselves permission to say, yeah, let me turn that performance switch off and let me just be. And so that's my hope for you, and I just want to say that on the front end. And here's, here's the good news of where we're going. Really, the only thing that can really create that space for us is the goodness of God and the gospel. And we're going to see that together um, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Briefly touching on the sermon series as a whole, the subtitle for this sermon series in Ephesians is the mystery of the gospel. Okay, it's going to come up and we get to chapter 3. Paul's going to explicitly talk about the mystery of the gospel. Here's what I want you to hear today. The idea that the gospel has mystery to it means that there's something you haven't figured out yet. There's something you don't, haven't been able to reconcile. There's something that you haven't been able to synthesize. There's a, there's a paradox, if you will, a mystery to the gospel that doesn't make sense to your human mind and that's okay. There's still room to discover, still room to press in, to learn more. And so we'll be looking at this throughout this series, this mystery of the gospel that makes sense even when it doesn't make sense, right? That delivers powerfully even when I can't logically get it all in order. So we're going to start today in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and here's what we read. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, you can do that. So, and you were... And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." That's heavy. That's like, wow, where's the good news? Like, I can't wait for those verses to end. You are dead in your trespasses. You are sons of disobedience and children of wrath like the rest of mankind. One of the things that I think is so helpful for those of us who are in Christ, there's part of the mystery of the gospel that is understanding fully who God is in contrast with understanding fully who I am. And what we're going to see today, if we'll pay attention, is the Apostle Paul writing 
inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is going to help us see an accurate view of who we are in contrast with an accurate view of who God is. Okay? If we walk into this space and we aren't overwhelmed by the goodness of God, one of two things is probably happening, and probably actually both. We have maybe too high a view of ourselves and too low a view of God, and that's, that doesn't overwhelm me. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't move me. It doesn't inspire me. It doesn't excite me. I don't get passionate about wanting to worship a God who's just a little bit better than me. And so we're starting here with some really heavy bad news. Dead. Disobedience. Wrath. Like those are big heavy words. One of the things, and we'll talk about this throughout our time together today, that we do in our relationship with God is we superimpose our human experiences onto Him. Okay? Especially the idea of Father. We do more than that, but especially the view of Father. We take what we experienced in an earthly father, or lack thereof, and then somehow assume that's what we're going to get from God. Now, you could do it with other like people in authority in your life. Bosses, supervisors, teachers, coaches. Right? So you take this idea of, we hear father, and we think, oh, head of the house, authority. And so we begin to think, oh, I know how I get treated in this world when I'm disobedient. Right? This idea that, that I'm a child of disobedience kind of scares me because now what I expect is to hear a voice down the hallway screaming, yelling, coming after me with a belt in his hand or threatening me with a pink slip. And so we hear that news and it kind of sobering, isn't it? Oh, dead in my trespasses, a son of disobedience. Where Paul's starting here is he's inviting you and giving you permission to be honest and to admit some things about yourself that you don't want to admit. And where he starts is with this idea of desperation. Why did Paul choose dead? It's pretty heavy. You were dead in your trespasses. I think what Paul is wanting to convey is this idea of desperation and helplessness. Why? Because dead men do nothing. Dead men can do nothing. Right? It's not the idea that you're out in the water treading water saying you're a tired and weary man. He's saying, no, you're a dead man floating. And dead men can't rescue themselves. They can't save themselves. And listen to this, dead men can't fix themselves. It's a place of utter and complete desperation. I'm done trying to fix me. We are dead in our trespasses. The second thing he says is that we are sons of disobedience, or we were sons of disobedience. And so what we know is when we hear disobedience, we've broken a law. Okay, and specifically what he's referring to is God's law, that we were all sons, if you're a lady here with us today, daughter of disobedience. This is an important thing to remember because we hear disobedience, we think, oh, great, now I'm going to get grounded. Oh, great, now the punishment's coming, and we're going to talk about punishment in a minute. But what we have to understand about disobedience is this. In almost every disobedient act in your life, you essentially are trying to fix yourself. I want you to think about that. Rarely does a person go, you know what, I hate you, God, and I know what you want me to do, and I really don't mind doing that, but I'm just going to do it because I don't like you. That's not normally what the script we run, right? 
It's an attempt to, to fix something that's broken in here. Let me just kind of go through a list of like basic human needs. I have a need to be heard. I have a need to be seen. I have a need to be known. And after all those things are done, then I have a need to be accepted, <laughs> right? Once you see me, you know me, you hear me, I, I need to be accepted. I need to be comforted. I need to be protected. I need to be connected, and I need to be forgiven. Some basic human needs. And here's what happens. This is what I think he's talking about here. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, which you once walked, following something. Following what? The course of this world. So there's a current running through our world. And so what's happened in my desperation, my brokenness, I've jumped into the current of this world. But then he says, oh yeah, the current of this world is following somebody. Who? He refers to him as the prince of the power of air. This is a refer to the devil himself. It's the devil leading this current, and we jump into this current and brokenness in desperation, trying to fix ourselves, and what ends up happening is we become these sons of disobedience. Think about like just some basic ways that we feel this need for something, and instead of walking in obedience, we walk in disobedience. So I was thinking, just as some examples, maybe like you're uh, feeling like lonely. Basic human need. I need to be accepted. I need to be seen. I need to be connected. I was made, right, to be connected. It's not good for man to be alone. I'm feeling loneliness. When I try to fix that on my own, I reach for things that I can grasp. So maybe for you that you felt that and you like, grabbed a hold of alcohol. You're like, well, I didn't drink a ton, but you drank enough to numb the loneliness. And you're like, oh, see, I fixed myself. And it worked for a minute. And if you keep reaching to that, what's going to end up happening is you have to keep reaching for more and more and more. You know how it works. Well, some of you, you experience that, and you're like, well, I know I can't, more is not good, so i got to find something else. And then you go to the computer screen, and you reach for false intimacy. And for a brief moment, that counterfeit intimacy feels good, and you feel not lonely, and you're like, okay, it worked. I fixed myself, and then that quits working. You follow me? You see how that disobedience is connected so often to you trying to fix you? And so rather than trying to argue with you, Paul's just going to say, you are a dead man. You can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't rescue yourself. And when you jump into that current, the one leading that current is leading you to disobedience. And the third thing that he says about us and who we really are is that we are children of wrath. Now that is a really harsh thing to hear. Right? And in some ways, it validates your greatest fears. I knew it. God's after me. I knew God was mad at me. I knew that's why all this bad stuff is happening. I'm, right, I'm just receiving his wrath. And listen, I think that view of God is really distorted. I really do. And I want to offer up a different perspective of what I think Paul is saying. Could it be that this is actually Paul pointing to God's kindness? Could it be that God himself is showing up with you through this really harsh label and saying, hey, I'm trying to help you see what is true. I'm trying to help you understand why things are so hard, why things are so broken, why you're so lonely. It's not God chasing me around the house with a belt or the spanking paddle, you know, trying to get me back and pour out his wrath as much as saying, like, you're, you're experiencing it. Your disobedience is leading to this brokenness. And could it be the voice of God's kindness saying to you, hey, this is why things are so broken. And the more you try to fix it, have you picked up on this pattern? The more broken things become. 
John, uh, who's one of the apostles, he writes about this same thing in 1 John 2. And he says this, this is in verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Do you hear that same language? Paul's saying you're following the course of the world, and John's saying, hey, you need to quit loving the things of the world. He goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, if anybody is following the current of this world, the love of the Father is not in him. So think about, what does that mean then? So if I'm walking in disobedience, following the current of the world, the love of the Father is not in me. So my obedience to God now isn't about getting a a better score on my report card. It's about stepping out of that current and stepping into what? The love of the Father. Like God wants you to experience his love and you got to get out of the current, right? This current that leads to disobedience and like get out of the current. So my obedience to God is actually an invitation to his goodness. He's saying, listen, obey, because obedience leads to life. The current of this world leads to what? Death. So John is writing about this, and he goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and here's this big word, the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from this world. So we need to stop and talk about the P word, pride. And this applies to everybody in the room, but dads, let's just get real, we struggle with pride. For most of us, pride, and I'll try to explain this, is the number one obstacle that is keeping you in this current that is leading to death. Now the Bible talks about two kinds of pride, one in a positive light, but one in a negative light. Let's talk about the negative light. This Greek word used in the New Testament could also very um, equivalently uh, translate into the word arrogance. Arrogance is the idea that I don't need. You already feel like like the tug against what Paul said about you. You are needy and desperate and you can't fix yourself, but arrogance is the opposite of that. I've got it together. I can handle things. Matter of fact, I'm really good at life. I'm sorry you're not, but I'm really good. It can, be bo- it can be like bold and it can be also subtle, but arrogance is this obstacle that will keep us in the current, right? From reaching up for a hand to save us because it lies. It says you can fix yourself. Try harder. Didn't work? Okay, here, I've got a new solution. Try harder. Okay, find somebody else who's trying harder and be like them. And every attempt leaves us what? Desperate, like I can't. I can't fix myself. I'm prideful. But listen, there's another use of the word pride that Paul uses in a positive light, and I think this one will lead you to life today, but it's going to be super hard. It's the word that also could be translated um, boast, or, and we'll see it in the scripture in just a minute as boast, but it literally means to tell a story with excitement. You know that kind of pride where like you're talking about one of your kiddos? and you're excited to tell a story, that's also translated like pride. I'm proud of that. I want to tell you about something that happened. I'm excited to tell you a story about something. So somehow there's this connection. If I've got the wrong kind of pride, I'm going to be in death and in this current following the pattern of this world, and I'm going to be a child of wrath. And like, but there's another kind of pride that, that, that pulls me out of the current. And that's really what I want to talk about with you today. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And really, this whole chapter is a beautiful expression of what it means to be a human being walking in weakness while also experiencing the goodness of God. And then he gets personal. And he says, listen, I I had this weakness in me. Let's just call it a thorn in the flesh. There was this weakness in me, this thing I didn't like. And I prayed and I pleaded and I begged God to take it away. Can you relate to that? He says, but listen, he didn't take it away, so I prayed again. Matter of fact, I begged God three times to take this weakness away. Now, men, wouldn't we just love for God to show up like that every time? I don't want this weakness to be exposed. I want it to be taken away. Are you with me? You tracking? You know what I'm talking about, right? Paul's like, I was there. I was begging God, take this weakness away. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want anybody to see it. But here's what Paul says about that. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So two things. Paul is begging for something from Jesus. Jesus doesn't give him the thing he's asking for. He gives him something different. And what Paul is going to say is it's actually better. If you had that experience with God, here's what I want. I'm begging you for this. God doesn't do that. He does something better. Guess what Paul is saying here? He's not saying that I had to settle. I guess I'll just settle until I get to heaven. He's like, actually, I begged Jesus three times for this, and he didn't give me the thing I begged for. He gave me something better. He said what? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to give you myself. So instead of taking your weakness away, I'm going to give you me. Man, that's hard, man, isn't it? I want the weakness gone. It's not how Jesus operates. So instead of taking your weakness away, I'm going to give you myself. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, look at the word pride here. It shows up as the word boast. Therefore, I will boast. I will be pridefully excited about something what are you pridefully excited about paul i will boast all the more gladly in my what (laughs) in my weakness i'm going to let go of the arrogant pride and i'm going to take hold of this humble pride that's excited about something what are you excited about i'm excited about boasting in my weakness why so that the power of christ may rest on me as Paul writes this, it's not just an indictment against you, you bad people. Paul's saying, I was there. I was a dead man floating. I couldn't fix myself. I pleaded with the Lord, take the weakness away so I can fix myself. And Jesus instead gave me his grace. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. I'm enough for you. And so Paul is like, here's what I learned. I can't fix myself, and I'm going to boast in that because the more I boast in that, the more I expose weakness, what happens? the more of the power of Christ I get to experience in my life. Men, do you hear that? Your children do not need to hear the story of you having it together. Your children do not need to hear the story about you having it together. Number one, it's not true. Number two, it will not serve them. You'll actually set them up. They'll have no idea what to do with their own weakness. Your children need to hear the story about your weakness. 
That's the boasting they need to hear. They already think we have it all together. <laughs> One of the mysterious graces of God is my children think that I'm smart. I don't know, check in with them. They may, they may have already figured out I'm not. But at least when they were like four and five and six, they would bring me broken stuff, and they didn't ask if I could fix it. They said fix it because they thought I, like, it's the mysterious grace of God that somehow I'm smarter than I am. But eventually they're going to find me out. And I don't need to keep telling them the story of a dad who has it together. I need to be the dad who tells the story of weakness, and so do you. Which leads to the good news of the gospel. Verse 4. But God... This is so good. I'll read the rest of this. But God. Like, can sit in that. But God. One through three... You are broken, desperate, you can't fix yourself. If that's where the news ends, that's bad news. It may be accurate news, but it's bad news. The good news begins with, but God. But God did for you what you can't do for yourselves. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even before we, or even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Like, this isn't just implied. Paul wants you to, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't tell you what you can do to fix yourself because you can't. That but God is a, is a direct shift of focus around to the one who can. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, so that no man may what? Boast. Boast in what? Fixing themselves, saving themselves, pulling themselves together. You hear that? Like, that's the gospel. You can't, but God can. You can't, but God will. That's the gospel. What kind of God is God? He's merciful, he is kind, he is loving, and he is gracious. It's right there in your Bible. He is not the angry dad down the hallway screaming at the top of his lungs, chasing you around. He's not the critical boss who's just waiting for one more mistake and then he's going to light you up. He's not the coach that you could never perform good enough for. He is a loving, gracious, merciful, and kind God. What does that kind of God do with sons of disobedience? He makes them alive. What do I need to do to get that? take it and you'll have it that's the point here that's why paul circles back around says oh yeah it's by grace that you've been saved and this is not your own doing why because nobody gets to boast nobody saved themselves nobody pulled themselves out of this current of that's flowing towards death and destruction but god did it and i love the wording here he made us alive he raised us up, and then what did he do? He seated us. We won't have time to fully unpack this piece, but it's a really important piece. 
about understanding what happens. Listen, here's what happens. When an accurate view of self and an accurate view of God meet. This is what happens. You with me? An accurate view of how desperate and broken and needy we are, when that connects with, collides with, an accurate view of God who is kind, merciful, gracious, and loving, something powerful happens. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4. I just want to read a couple verses here. Here's what happens. Verse 3 says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Again, do you hear the commonality in that? Not only were we in the current of the world, we were enslaved to that. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive something. Adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. When you see the words seated, made me alive he raised me up and he seated me there are two biblical principles in this one is the idea that God is seated in heaven on his throne when we read about the throne room of God he is seated on his throne and Christ is seated at the right hand of God you and I are seated with Christ but there's another aspect of this that Jesus talks about which recorded in the gospels that's not a throne room image, imagery of throne room. It's an imagery of a dinner table. And God the Father sits at the head of the dinner table. And you've been invited to be seated at his table. I think this is more of what Paul is getting at. You are adopted. God is, he's given you a place at his table. He's given you a plate and a set of silverware. And he says to you, call me dad. me Abba Father you have been made alive you have been raised up and oh by the way you have been given a seat at my table isn't this what Jesus is trying to capture with the story of the prodigal son and the loving father the disobedient son the son of disobedient who deserved the father's wrath goes out and squanders his wealth and he's like I'll just go home and see if dad will give me a job as a servant is that what the dad does is it no he does what? Gives him a robe, gives him a ring, and he seats him at the table as a son. Like, that story is told by Jesus so you'll know what God does with you. You've been made alive, you've been raised up, and you have been seated at the table of God. I want to land here with the idea of call, the calling of a dad, and it'll tie in um, to this, I, I hope, for you. Um, here's what you need to hear first before you get to your calling as a dad and there is a calling for dads you are first a son before you're a dad matter of fact you'll be a lousy dad in your home fulfilling your calling if you don't first see yourself as a son 
you'll have no idea how to give away anything that you haven't received. And so, in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about our calling. Okay, I want you to listen. He's going to use this relationship of an earthly father to help us understand something about our heavenly father. He says in verse 9, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? What Jesus is doing is saying, listen, earthly fathers, like, even those of you who are horrible at this role of dad, like, you know that when your son asks for a, a fish, you don't give him a snake. So he goes on to talk about God. He says, if you then, who are evil, dead in your trespasses, sons of disobedience, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask him? Even crummy dads know how to give their kids good gifts. And so he's saying, is in that, you can begin to see a reflection. You guys are image bearers, reflecting a God who gives good gifts. Your, your number one calling is to be a son, then a husband, then a dad. But in your calling to be a dad, your, your role in that is to, to bear the image of God to your family. And here's the, that sounds daunting, doesn't it? Oh, that's it? Oh, okay, well, good. Can't wait to go home and crush that one. Here's the good news. Um, well, I'll put it in earthly terms. Like, you can bat successfully a third of the time and make it to the Hall of Fame in baseball. <laughs> um, like, the goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is that you show up. There's a guy I listen to, Adam Young, has a podcast, and he talks about parenting in a way you're like, oh my gosh, that's too much. He's like, but here's the good news. If you get this right 50% of the time, you'll be doing better than 95% of the parents in the world. Like, the pressure isn't to go home and perform. We're not trying to flip a switch on here. What we're trying to do is say, like, when you boast in weakness, what you're doing for your children, you're showing them, right, how to interact with a loving father. And then in small moments, when you get it right, you're going to begin to pour out that love on them. And in your imperfect example, your children will see the image of God. There's no way you can be a kind, loving, gracious, merciful dad until you first have been a son who has been rescued by the one true, kind, merciful, loving, and gracious father. So dads, that's your role. When you get it right, you go, this is what God is like. And the rest of the time, when we're getting it wrong, show your kids what to do with weakness. Tell them the story of weakness. Go to your children and say, hey, can we talk about what happened yesterday or five minutes ago and where I messed up? Show them what to do. Own it. Boast in your weakness. Let them know what God does with you when you mess up. Let them pray with you. Let them hear you pray. Can we pray about that? Let them overhear you talking to the Father about what you do with your weakness. I want to end with just some, some thoughts here for you. Um, dads, God loves you. Not the you who has it together. Not the you who has convinced your company or your boss that you're irreplaceable and that you're worth your money. Not the you who, who performs, knows how to flip the switch on and impress people. and Like he loves the real you, the broken you, the you that can't fix yourself, that can't rescue yourself. I just want you to hear that today. God 
loves you. That language was harsh, wasn't it? Verses 1 through 3. It's on purpose. God loves sons of disobedience and children of wrath. He loves you. He loves the you that gets tired, the you that gets edgy, grumpy, the you that messes up. And here's the good news. He's not going to change his mind. He's not the kind of dad who leaves for work and never comes home. He's not the unpredictable dad who walks through the doors at the end of the day and you never know what you're going to get. He loves you and he's not going to change his mind. He wrote it down so you would know that. So I want to end here and verse 10 is full of hope. We won't have time to unpack it today, but the idea behind verse 10, let's read it. For we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, the idea God's doing, he's getting out in front of you and preparing good works. He's just asking you to show up. You don't have to plan your good works, just show up and walk in them. But the overwhelming principle here is that you are his worksmanship. So that son of disobedience who's been rescued from the current and following the pattern of the world, God's still working on him. Are you glad? I'm super glad. I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 21 years? No, longer than that. I, I don't, I don't want to count. It's too many numbers. So for a long time, three decades? Yeah, three decades. And like, God isn't done working on me. He's still working. He's working on me right now. Like, that's good news too, right? I still don't have to have it all together, even though I've been rescued. And like, I'm still his worksmanship. I'm still being rescued. So, so are you. And that's, that's what that verse is leading us to understand. But here's what it boils down to. It boils down to this. At the core of who you are, what do you believe to be true about yourself and God? Because if we can't get past that, it doesn't matter what else we read. What is true about you? Are you still believing the lie that you can pull yourself together? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be honest. Your family desperately needs you to come to that realization you can't fix yourself. You desperately need to come to that realization you can't fix yourself. If we don't start there, the rest doesn't matter. What is true at the core of who you are? Are you willing to look at yourself accurately and go, this is who I am. I am broken, I am weak, and I am desperate. And that must be followed up with what? What is true about God? Is he actually a loving father who's kind and merciful? Is he the kind of God and the kind of father that doesn't change his mind? Is he the kind of father that doesn't bail on you? Is he the kind of father that you know what you're going to get when you approach him or he approaches you? Yes. You see how those two core beliefs are so important? What is true about you and what is true about God? Would you let that just sit on you maybe for a minute? And I'll just end with this question. We're about to sing about the goodness of God, and I want you to know this. The goodness of God, if you aren't tasting and experiencing that around, it's, it's available to you and it's waiting on you. But the only way to get there is to let your neediness lead the way. There's no other way to get to it. Are you willing to let your neediness lead you to the goodness of God? So we're going to create some space now in our service to respond to this. Um, 
if we start singing a song that you feel like is like really expression what's going on in here, we're going to invite you to stand and sing it. Let that be your prayer. But if the words we're singing just aren't connecting and like you're wrestling with something else and you're in a different space, we want to give you permission. Just like stay, stay in your own head, your own heart. Maybe you just need to pray something different. That's okay. But maybe you're here today and you're like, I need, I need this God. I need this relationship. I need this rescue. But I don't even know what to, how do you pray? Okay, that's, here's the here's good news. We have prayer partners for you. That's what they're actually here for. You don't get extra credit by coming and grabbing a prayer partner. You know that, right? You actually only give a report card, but like it's not going to make you any more special. They're here to serve you. If you're in that space, you're like, I need, I need to hear somebody else's voice pray for me. I don't even know what to pray. Come grab a prayer partner. Um, after services are done, our elders, we, we hang out in the commons to be available. Maybe something's stirring in you, and you're like, I don't even know where to get started in this. We want you to come grab us. Maybe you need to have a conversation, but you don't have enough time to do that today. Like, let's set something up with a pastor or elder where you can come in and like, Really, really pour your heart out and get some guidance and direction. Wherever you are in all that, like we want you to respond to God today and give you space to do so. So I'm going to pray. Um, our worship team is going to come back out, and then we're going to give you a place to respond. So let's do that together. Father, thank you for uh, this heavy and freeing gospel. Father, the heaviness is only heavy for a moment. <laughs> it's heavy while we get to that place of weakness where we understand how desperate and needy we are. We're so thankful for the good news that comes in verse 4, that when we let that neediness draw us to you, that, that, that God, you meet us in that, and you rescue us, and you save us, and you make us alive, and you raise us up, and you seat us at your table. You adopt us into your family. Father, today, we want to leave here today with an accurate view of who we are, and our brokenness, and our weakness, and and maybe, just maybe, permission now to tell the real story. To boast, like Paul talked about, to tell the story of weakness so that we can experience the power of God. So God, thank you for that reminder today in Ephesians. Just praying now all over this room, and even people maybe who are listening at home or at work later in the week, that God, your spirit would move right now. Your spirit would speak right now. Father, the truths that we've heard today with our ears, Father, would you plant those, would you embed those in our hearts? And would you do a work in us today? We pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.